Now, it's been a little while since we have actually been in the book of Revelation. As we came to Revelation chapter 20, though we've been talking about some of the subject matter that flows out of Revelation chapter 20, we have been on somewhat of a little, little sidebar in light of some of the, the truths that we saw that were surfaced in, in this, this chapter. But let's take just a, a moment since we're closing down, and I want to make sure that the book of Revelation is something that you have fixed in your mind. Others of you that may be new to our church and maybe are not dialed into to this book of the Bible, you know what? It is one of the easiest bi- books in the Bible to actually divide. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 tells us that our responsibility to the Word of God is to study to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that need not to be ashamed, what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. And what we have found is if you will give diligent study as a workman, that what you'll find is that God does divide his book. But you've got to study in order to see how he does that. In the book of Revelation, he divides it into three very neat little sections. He even tells you in chapter 1 that he's going to divide it that way in terms of the past, the present, and the future. And the book of Revelation is divided by an event that takes place two times in the book of Revelation. And what is that event, y'all? Heaven opens two times in the book of Revelation. It opens in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, and somebody goes up. It opens in Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11, and somebody somebody comes down. And what God has shown you in the book of Revelation is he has shown you the rapture. That's somebody going up. John, a picture of the church, the beloved apostle. The Bible tells us that we are the beloved of Christ. He is a picture of the raptured church of Jesus Christ. In Revelation 4.1, he hears a voice, a trumpet. He is caught up off of this earth. He is raptured up into heaven. In Revelation 19 and uh, and verse 11, there's no doubt about who this one is. He is crowned with many crowns. He has a robe of majesty on. He's riding on a white horse, and when he opens his mouth, the word of God comes out, and he is none other than Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what we find in Revelation 19 is the second coming of Christ. And so what that shows us is that the first three chapters are what is past. It is church history. And what God does in Revelation 2 and 3 is he writes seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor that really existed at around 95 AD or so when, when John was writing this, this letter. But these seven letters, as you put them into the context of this book, they represent seven periods of church history that pick up where the book of Acts leaves off and run you all the way up to the rapture. We're presently living in the seventh and final one of those periods of church history. We're anticipating the rapture. Then in chapter 4 and 5, what he shows is what's taking place in heaven after the rapture. The tribulation period is taking place on the earth. But in chapter 4, he's showing us the raptured church of Jesus Christ as we worship the Lord in spirit and in truth and beyond the eyes of faith at that point. And so Revelation 4 and 5 cover that. And then in chapter 6, he begins to show what's going on on the earth during the tribulation period. And what we have from chapter 6 all the way to chapter 19 
are four separate accounts of the tribulation period. The tribulation period, I'll remind you, for those that are new, I referred to it this morning. It's that period of time that Jesus says there's never been a time like it before it. There'll never be a time like it after it. A time of intense persecution and suffering as God pours out his wrath on this earth. And he shows us that in four different accounts. They're not in, and it's not chronological. It's four separate accounts of the same event. The tribulation period, he shows us that, first of all, through the opening of seven seals. Secondly, he shows us the tribulation period through the sounding of seven trumpets. Thirdly, he shows us the tribulation period through the revealing of seven personalities. And then fourthly, he shows us the tribulation period through the pouring of seven vials. And then in chapter 19, the Lord Jesus Christ returns. In chapter 20, it's all about the millennium. Chapter 21, the new heaven, the new earth. In chapter 22, eternity. So the book divides itself rather simply. It's really easy to follow once you begin to see how God has divided that thing. But we've made our way now to chapter 20. What we're calling this time is the time when Christ finally gets what he deserves and when Satan finally gets what he deserves. And let me just give you a little preview of where we're going. We will not be able to get all the way through these 10 verses tonight. But what we're going to see in this chapter, Roman numeral 1, is the removal of Satan. We'll talk about that tonight in the first three verses. And then we're going to look at the reign of saints in verses 4 through 6. And then we're going to look at the return of Satan, sound like a movie, in verse 7. And then the revolt of society in verses 8 through 10. The removal of Satan, the reign of saints, the return of Satan, and the revolt of society. And of course, what this time is, is after the Lord Jesus Christ has returned to this planet at his second coming. Again, that's that event when heaven opens that we talked about in Jesus Christ on a white horse returns to this earth. And once he does that, chapter 20 begins showing us what is called the millennial kingdom. That's what we call it. In Revelation chapter 6, you'll find, or, or chapter 20, what you find is that six times he refers to a period on this planet where Jesus Christ will rule and reign, and he refers to it as a period of a thousand years. And again, in this passage, a thousand years appears six times. And we've talked about this. I won't take a lot of time to go into this, but if you go back into Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, what you'll find out, is that there were six days in the creative week, and then came the Sabbath, the seventh day. It was the day of rest. You go to the book of Second Peter, chapter 3, and verse 8, and it says, Now, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as a, as a day. And if you go back and you plug that equation in, that God said, don't be ignorant of that thing, and you put that into the first six days, or the first week, the first seven days, what you find is that there are six days, 6,000 years of human history, and that seventh thousand years is the time that's being referred to right here in Revelation chapter 20. It's what Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 9 calls 
the Sabbath rest. It is a period of a thousand years on this planet where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from his throne in Jerusalem, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, and the earth filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. And so that's what this time is all about, this thousand years. Now, we call it the millennium, and there's a few words as we're talking about this that I think that all of us, we need to make sure that we're acquainted with. This word millennium, it comes from two words, milli, meaning, meaning a thousand. We talk about a, a mill levy, and of course that's a tax of one thousandth, okay? Uh, milli, mill, thousand, and annum means year. Milli, annum. Millennium is where we get the word. It's a thousand years, this thousand years that are talked about here. Now, and we're not going to get real deep into all of this. I want to make sure, though, that you are at least familiar with these terms. There's certain opinions that people have when they come to this period of a thousand years that put them in at least one of three categories uh, in terms of theology. First of all, there's a group of people that are called the amillennialist. Just put an A in front of that word that you have there. They are amillennialist. The word or the, the prefix a means no. There are some people that do not believe in a literal millennium. Now, make sure that you understand something. It's not that they don't actually think that there is a kingdom. They do. They don't believe that there is a literal thousand-year period like is talked about here in Revelation chapter 20. Now, guys, I think it goes without saying that when God, in one passage, in this short period of time, talks about a thousand years, and he says it six times, I don't think that he was, you know, on a drunk or, you know, forgot or whatever. He meant a thousand-year period, and if you put it into the whole context of the Bible, it is just as clear as it can possibly be. There is going to be a literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this planet. But there are some people that actually believe, and these are the amillennialists, that the kingdom is now and that we're living in this kingdom. And some of the, the worship tapes that we have even sing about that. You've taken up your power and begun to reign. You know what they're talking about? He is ruling and reigning right now on this earth. Isn't this fun? I'm telling you, y'all, if, if this is the reign, whoo, God help us. There's another group of people that, quite honestly, are... I think this group is more insane than the first one. It's the post-millennialist. These have got to be the most optimistic people in the world. Because what the post-millennialists believe is that the way that this thing shakes down is that Jesus Christ is going to come back to this planet when we get it all ready for him. And when there's peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And you know what? I, I'm serious as a heart attack. There are people that, that believe that. that It's not quite as popular as it was, say, a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago, it was a pretty popular teaching. And 
President Wilson talked about, you know, beating the, the plowshares into pruning hooks and, you know, all of that kind of stuff and, or however that thing goes. He, he was talking about all of that and, and they, were, they were singing, mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord because we're going to bring this thing in. That's what that song is all about. That's why we don't sing that song around here. Is they're talking about bringing in the kingdom when we get it all dandy and ready for him. And I'm just telling you, if you can look at the 6,000 years of human history that behind us and think that we're going to bring this thing in or that things are getting better, you know what? God's very clear. They ain't going to get better. It's only going to wax, what? Worse and worse. It's not getting better, and yet what these people believe, and now you see, they thought all of this before the first world war which was supposed to be the war to end all wars until the second world war and then you know what it began to be not quite so popular to believe that we were going to get this thing dialed in but this is why the social gospel was so prevalent in the past century I'm talking about the 20th century it's people were wanting to feed the sick and feed the hungry and, and do all of these humanitarian things because when we do those goodwill acts, it's just bringing in the kingdom. So that's the post-millennialist. And then there's another group of people, of which I am one, the pre-millennialist. And these are the people that believe that there will be no peace until the Prince of Peace comes back and kicks the snot out of everybody that has defied him through the years. It, there is going to be a day of peace and goodwill toward men, but it's not going to be until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back at that second coming and does away with all of the injustice on this world or in this world. And that's what Revelation chapter 20 is talking about. So, you got the amillennialist, the post-millennialist, and the pre-millennialist. And that maybe just kind of lets you understand when you're talking to other people uh, about this thousand-year period, where they're coming from. All right, now let's, let's look into Revelation chapter 20. And we're going to be talking tonight about the removal of Satan. One of the things that is going to make the millennium the millennium that's going to make it this glorious period of time, that time that the entire Bible is pointing to, one of the things is, is going to make it that glorious is not just the fact that Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning. The thing that's going to make it so glorious is that Satan has been removed. And I'd like to begin tonight to help us to understand what we're going to see in Revelation 20 by giving just a little bit of a background information so that we might understand what we're going to see here tonight. Letter A, let's first of all talk about what Satan has done to humanity for the last 6,000 years. What Satan has done to humanity for the last 6,000 years. Number one, he sought to lay hold on us. He has sought to lay hold on us. And I want to make sure that you're getting this picture in your mind. From the very second that you came out of your mother's womb and you were born into this earth, what Satan has sought to do is to lay hold on you. It's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 calls, calls a stronghold. He wanted to lay on us 
a stronghold. He wants to get his hands on you, and he wants to get his system in you. He lays hold on us. Number two, Isaiah 61 in verse 1 says that he seeks to bind us. Bind us. In Psalm 68 in verse 6 says that the way that he binds us is with a chain. He binds us with a chain. And number three, once he lays hold on us and he binds us with his chain, Isaiah 42 and verse 7 says that he casts us into his prison. He casts us into his prison. And the picture in Isaiah 42 and verse 7 is very graphic. What it says in Isaiah 42 and verse 7 is that we sit in our lost condition. We sit as prisoners in his prison, listen to it, sitting in darkness, having been blinded. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not. So, from our very birth, he laid hold on us. He bound us with a chain. He cast us in his prison. And number four, once he's bound us and cast us into his prison, he shuts us up in that prison. He shuts us up in that prison. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 26 calls the, the, his prison, it calls it his snare. It calls it his, his, or his, his trap. And what it says is that he takes that snare and he holds us captive at his will. And the reason for all of these things that we're talking about that he does to us is number five, he wants to seal our eternal destiny. He wants to hold us captive, bound in his snare, so that we'll spend eternity separated from God in the place that Matthew 25 and verse 41 says is the place of everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He's heading there and he wants to make sure that every human being that comes into this earth is going there with him. And folks, now I want you to listen. That was our condition in our lost state. Do you understand that? It wasn't that we were just, you know, out there and we were just these little, poor little sinners and, well, we came to Christ. No, no. What he shows us here is an incredibly graphic picture. He laid hold on us. He bound us with a chain. He cast us into prison. He holds us captive at his will and shut up in that prison because he wants to seal our eternal destiny. And we've been talking for the last several months about, about our field and our responsibility to reach our field with the gospel. Guys, listen. Almost every person that you're going to talk to this week, almost every single one of them, if you could see past the facade. Man, I saw an incredible commercial last night. It was a, this guy that was in this clam outfit. Have you guys, have you seen this deal? He's, he's, he's this clam, you know. And, and what it's talking about is if, if you're wearing the clam suit, but you're not as happy as a clam. And you know what? The whole world's out there in their clam suit trying to act like they're happy as a clam in that thing. 
And they're all as miserable as the guy on TV last night. But if you could see past the clam suit and see that Satan has laid hold on them and has them bound, not in a physical chain, but a literal one. He has them bound in a chain that he has taken them and cast them into his prison in darkness and he shut them up there, holding them captive at his will because he wants to seal their eternal destiny. I'm just telling you, if we'd see people in their lost condition like that, it would change us. You could not not be looking for an open door to share the fact that Jesus Christ is willing to bring them out of that. And I want to challenge you this week. Seek to see people the way that the Bible describes us in that lost condition. Now there may be some of you that are here tonight. You've never come to Jesus Christ. And maybe, maybe you've never fully understood what it really means to be outside of a relationship with God. Listen, that is your condition tonight. And the best thing that could ever happen for you is for you to come to the place to where you understand that. You, but you've got to know. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3 says that if our gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And then verse 4 comes, in whom the God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of them that believe not. You know what? Even as you're listening to me tonight, he does not want your mind to, to see the reality of your condition as a sinner outside of a relationship with God. But that's the way that the Bible describes our condition before him. And then look at letter B. So that Satan doesn't get too much credit here, let's, let's talk for just a second about what Jesus does for believers at salvation. What Jesus does for believers at salvation. You see, because there was somebody that cared enough about us to look past our clam suit, our facade, and was willing to see us in our lost condition. There was somebody that cared enough about our soul. The psalmist said, I looked at my right hand and beheld, and no man cared for my soul. But you know what? We're sitting in this room tonight with the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts, and we are in his family tonight because somebody on this planet cared enough to get us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when that message came to us, number one, you know what he did? He laid hold on us. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13 says that he reached down into the darkness where Satan held us, and he, the Lord Jesus Christ, laid hold on us, translated us out of the power of darkness, and placed us into the kingdom of his dear Son. And number two, Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says that through the message of Christ's gospel, listen to it, he broke the chains that bound us. 
Isaiah 61 and verse 1 says that he came, the Lord Jesus Christ, proclaiming liberty to the captives. Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 says he preached deliverance to the captives. He bound those chains and he set us free. He delivered us. And when he broke those chains, number three, he brought us out of prison. He brought us out of prison. Isaiah 42 and verse 7 says, He brought the prisoners out from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. That prison that Satan was using to hold us in. He brought us out of that prison. And number four, He delivered us out of our bondage. He delivered us out of our bondage. Hebrews chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says that the power of the Lord Jesus Christ was exercised through his death. Listen, that he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. That was us, y'all. The devil held us in his death grip. And the Lord Jesus Christ reached into that prison house and delivered us out of our bondage so that we no longer have to fear being held by Satan and his power. Number five, he sealed us with his Holy Spirit. He sealed us with his Holy Spirit. When that gospel came to us, Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 13 and 14, it says that when we heard the word of truth and we trusted the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, we were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, he says, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Our eternal destiny, Satan wanted to seal us in that everlasting fire with him and all of his angels. The Lord Jesus Christ came and took us out of that prison house and brought us into a relationship with God and he sealed our eternal destiny with the Holy Spirit of God man I'm preaching a whole lot better than your amen and I can tell you that (laughs) let her see now remember what we're doing we're trying to just give ourselves the background information to Revelation chapter 20 okay that's the context of all this. We're just laying it down, okay? Let her see. What Satan attempted to do to Christ at his first coming. Now, maybe you can already see a little pattern developing here, okay? All through the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ on this planet, Satan, through the religious leaders, was seeking to what? lay hold on him. That's exactly what it says in Mark chapter 12 and verse 12. It says that in Matthew chapter 21 and verse 46. But you know what? For some strange reason, they never could. He passed from their midst. And if you go check it out, it was incredible, man. They were ready to lay off. Where did he go? That's what was going on. And you know why the scripture says they couldn't do it? You know why Satan couldn't do it at that point? Because his hour was not yet come. You know what? What he's telling you is nobody was going to lay hold on him until he was good and ready. And in John chapter 18, he was good and ready. And in John chapter 18, you, you, I think you know the context. 
he was in, in the garden. And once again, Satan, through the religious leaders, came into that garden, and they laid hold on him. And John chapter 18 and verse 12, same verse, goes on to say number two, that they, they bound him, and they led him away. And Isaiah 53 and verse 8 says, number three, he was cast into prison. And Isaiah 53, 8 says, listen, that he was cut off from the land of the living. We understand it was a prophecy concerning his death on the cross. And after his death, number four, they shut him up in a grave. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 66 says that they made the sepulcher or the grave sure. They had him shut up. They shut him up tight. And Matthew 27, 66 goes on to say, number five, that they sealed the stone to keep him in. And Satan thought he had him. But after three days, you know what he found out? That the only reason that he could lay hold on him and the only reason that he could bind him and the only reason that he could cast him into prison, the only reason that he could shut him up in that grave and the only reason he could seal that tomb was not because of his power, it was to fulfill prophecy. And that's the only reason any of those things shook down. It wasn't because, ooh, Satan really had him. He thought he had him. So we've seen what Satan has done to humans for the last 6,000 years. We've seen what Satan sought to do to the Lord Jesus Christ at his first coming. And now we're ready to very simply look at Revelation chapter 20. All right, is that where you are? Don't you guys ever turn any place in the Bible? <laughs> what Jesus will do to Satan at his second coming. Guess what he's going to do, y'all? First of all, number one, he's going to lay hold on him. Verse 2 says, and he laid hold on the dragon. Now, who laid hold? Well, verse 1 says, and I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now, this is an unnamed angel here. And you can believe whatever you want to believe, but I believe that that angel is the angel of the Lord. I believe that's the Lord Jesus Christ because I think he wants to do this job himself. He holds the key to the bottomless pit. I do know that. And what it's, what's going to happen, verse 2, first of all, is he is going to lay hold on him. And number two, you know what he's going to do? You already know the outline, don't you? He's going to bind him with a chain. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan. Okay, you get the idea? <laughs> and bound him a thousand years. He's bound. And go back to verse 1. I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And again, listen now. It's not a physical chain, but it's a literal chain. Okay. Say what? 
You, you see, our, our minds can't comprehend that. But, you, see, you know, do you understand the chains that Satan used to bind you? Same chain the Lord Jesus Christ is going to use to bind him. And what we're seeing is everything that Satan has sought to do to you and I and every other human being on this planet, everything that Satan sought to do to the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ is just going to, when he's good and ready, he's just going to have his fun. And first of all, he's going to lay hold on that sorry, no good dragon, that old serpent called the devil and Satan. And he's going to take that chain and he's going to bind him. And number three, he's going to what? He's going to cast him into his prison. See, you guys don't need me. You already know this outline, don't you? After the fourth time, you ought to. He's going to cast him into prison. Look at verse three. And cast him into the bottomless pit. And, and, and check it out in verse 7. Check it out. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of the bottomless pit? No, his prison. But what's going to happen is God is going to take that bottomless pit and it's going to be Satan's prison for a thousand years. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is going to lay hold on him. He's going to bind him with a chain. And once he's bound... Bam! Welcome back, y'all. He's going to cast him into his prison. And then, number four, he's going to shut him up in that prison. He's going to shut his dirty, stinking mouth. But that's not what it means. He's going to shut him up in that prison. He's going to lock him in, verse 3, and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up. And then, number five, and set a seal upon him. He's going to seal him in. And I'm just telling you, y'all, I love this book. <laughs> God just finds a way to just kind of charge your jets because it just sometimes appears that Satan, like we talked about today, that Satan actually wins in the real world. Let me just tell you, he doesn't win anything. All God does is just... Allow him to do his thing while he's in the midst of rescuing sinners like you and me right in his face. But there's coming a day when he's going to lay hold on him. He's going to bind him with a chain. He's going to cast him into prison. He's going to shut him up. And then he's going to seal that thing for a thousand years. And that's one of the things that's going to make the millennium such an incredible thing. I'm just telling you. I can't wait to see the Lord Jesus Christ get the glory that he deserves. But I'll tell you what else. I can't wait to see Satan get what he deserves. And he's getting it right there. Now, I just want to ask you, what's, what's Satan doing in your world right now? Because, oh, even though he's lost you from his eternal domain, please don't miss the fact that he still wants to lay hold on you. He still wants to bind you up and have strongholds that he's using in your life. And I'm talking to a bunch of wonderful saints tonight that have allowed Satan and I don't think that, you know, it's because you just absolutely want to, but 
what we do is we allow him the opportunity to have areas of our life that he uses as strongholds. And listen, as soon as you put yourself out there and vulnerable to that, he'll lay hold on you and he'll get that chain wrapped on you again. And you're going to think that you got victory over that until he jerks your chain. That's what a stronghold is all about. It's like a, the, the dog in, in, in the backyard. The dog, doo, 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 you know, he's hooked to the, the, you know, the pole and he's out there for about six hours or so and he thinks he's free, man. And then all of a sudden, Fifi comes running by over there. And you know what? Some of us have areas of our life where we, we've allowed him to chain us, and it's a stronghold, and we think we're free every Sunday. But we never really allow him to get the victory. And listen, he's called us to live in victory. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have got the Lord Jesus Christ living inside of you. You do not have to be bound by those chains any longer, guys. Let him, he set you free. He's changed your eternal destiny. He sealed you with his spirit. And now it's time for us to live in the victory that the Lord Jesus Christ is designed for us to live in. And again, I want to challenge you as we go out this week. And we look at our field. Could I ask you to see them the way that God sees them? And let God do something to burden your heart for their souls. Oh God, would you please help us tonight? Would you help us to see our field and the people that we will be around this week? Help us to see them as you have described it for us tonight. Lord, thank you that you have rescued us out of the clutches of Satan and brought us into your family, translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and from the power with which Satan used to hold us. And thank you. That you have sealed us with your Holy Spirit and that we have nothing to fear tonight. But Lord, we want to allow you to bring us into the victory that you designed our salvation to be. Help us to see your power as it's demonstrated over Satan. And I pray that you'd help us not to allow him to have areas of stronghold in our life. Lord, I pray that you would free people tonight as they trust your power. And as they begin to, as 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 talks about, to take the weapons that you have given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ to cast down those strongholds that Satan seeks to use to bind us even after we've come to know you. So, Lord, work in our hearts. Change us. And Christians, right now, would you just ask the Lord to 
to do these things in you, to free you from any area, any area of stronghold that Satan is using in your life right now. Would you, would you ask him to help you this week to see the people in your circle of influence the way that he sees them? And you just pray on that. I'm sure that there are some people that are in this room tonight And maybe before tonight, you've never actually seen your condition. Listen. What Satan has sought to do in your life and has done is he has laid hold on you. He has bound you with a chain. Tonight, you are cast in his prison, sitting in darkness, shut up. And at this point, your eternal destiny has been sealed and unless something changes in your life, unless you will allow the Lord Jesus Christ to do the miracle of salvation, just like Satan and his angels, you too will be cast in to eternal fire that was designed not for you, but for the devil and his angels. And if you're here tonight and you'd like to respond to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, He loves you with all of His heart. He's done everything necessary, as we've described tonight. He's done everything necessary to bring you out of that bondage. But really, the ball is in your court. You must humble yourself before Him and confess the fact that there's nothing that you can do in and of yourself. You call on His name and the, the gift that was provided through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you're like that, we would love the privilege of being able to talk to you as our service is, is brought to a conclusion here in the next uh, several minutes. And we would love to be able to share the Lord Jesus Christ with you and, and see his power demonstrated in, in your life tonight. And Lord, again, I ask for, for these folks that even now you would draw people in this room to your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that by your spirit you would convict of sin of righteousness, and of judgment. Lord, do your work in the hearts of people tonight that don't know you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.